I want to thank you all uh, for praying for me as I was in Romania last week. I'm grateful for uh, the opportunity to be able to go. Uh, I want to share just a little bit about our trip before I get into uh, the message this morning. Uh, For those of you who don't know, uh, I flew to Romania on Friday of last week. I uh, was in Romania for about six or seven days, uh, landed back uh, or came home uh, this past Thursday. So it was a very, very quick trip. Uh, we flew to Romania. Uh, we were in Romania Sunday, uh, preached in two churches uh, in Romania. I'm sorry, preached in a uh, church in Romania, and then we crossed the border into Ukraine. I didn't tell my wife we were crossing into Ukraine but until we left. And so uh, sometimes it's better to ask forgiveness than permission, right? So uh, we, we crossed over into the Ukraine, uh, preached in a church in Ukraine that evening, uh, spent the night in Ukraine, traveled to a refugee center that Monday morning, spoke to several pastors there, met with uh, their uh, director of missions, their executive uh, uh, leader of their Baptist uh, union there in Ukraine, uh, prayed with them, uh, encouraged them, then got on a bus or got on a van and came back to Romania. Uh, after we got back to Romania on Monday, we preached at a pastor's conference on uh, Monday and Tuesday. On Wednesday, we got on a train. We went to Bucharest, and then on Thursday, we got on a plane and came home. So it was an extremely, extremely quick trip. Uh, I do have a couple pictures. Uh, I think let's let's see what's first. Uh, uh, this is, uh, as we were in Ukraine, uh, we entered into the city, the city center, and when we entered into the city center, we just stumbled upon uh, this memorial. They had uh, the National Guard, their version of the National Guard was out there, and they were memorializing all of those soldiers from that city who had been killed in the war. And so uh, you can see all of the employees of the local businesses were standing outside as they were memorializing those soldiers. So the the price of war is very palpable, is very real. Uh, the reason we crossed into the Ukraine, the primary reason we crossed into the Ukraine is because the pastors that were in Ukraine were not allowed to leave because the border at the border they are not allowing any men of fighting age to leave because in the event that they need these men, they want them to be around. And so we went into the Ukraine to encourage them because they would not be able to leave to come to the conference. What's the next picture, Nicholas? Uh, this is a castle uh, that was built in the uh, mid in the medieval times. Uh, it's just a cool picture, so I'll put it up there. Uh, next picture. Uh, this is outside of the refugee center uh, that we went. Uh, there was there has been about uh, two thousand people that have uh, stayed there, come through there uh, over the past year, and so this is our team, me and several of other. Uh, pastors as well. The next picture, I think, is a video. Uh, this is leading, we are leaving Ukraine in this video. And as you see on the left, there are semi truck after semi truck after semi truck after semi truck. This is, this video is about a minute and a half long. Uh, and I just wanted you to see what is entering into Ukraine. As we were exiting, as we were both entering and exiting Ukraine, uh, these semi-trucks are backed up as far as you can see. And this is supplies coming into. This is groceries. This is uh, uh, toilet paper. This is 
canned goods. This is also humanitarian aid. Because of war, they are very, uh, very protective of their border, as you can imagine. And so because of that, uh, there's a, a big issue with the supply chain. And so uh, there are uh, they're real, very real palpable needs uh, that are in the Ukraine. I want to share this one story and then I'll quit talking and uh, preach God's word. Uh, but as we were coming out of the Ukraine, entering into Romania, we were supposed to be at the pastor's conference uh, to begin at about four o'clock. Well, we left at noon to give us plenty of time. It took us 30 minutes crossing the border going into. So we figured we'd give ourselves plenty of time. Uh, as we got to the border of Ukraine, uh, we were stopped and there was gridlock. We were not moving. No one was moving. Uh, I don't know what had taken place, but the border was, it wasn't, it, we could tell it wasn't going to take 30 minutes. After sitting there for about two, two hours, two and a half hours, a plainclothes gentleman walks up to the van and he recognizes uh, the guy who is driving us, who was one of the uh, Romanian pastors who had traveled with us to Ukraine and was uh, interpreting for us. And he recognized him and he happened to be at the church service that he preached at uh, or that one of our pastors preached at the day before. And he began talking and, and he said, look, we're trying to get across the border to Ukraine, uh, across the Ukrainian border back to Romania. We're leading a pastor's conference and we've been stuck in this line for two, two and a half hours and we haven't moved. And he said, well, you know, I'm a supervisor here. Let me see what I can do. And so within 30 minutes, we've crossed the border. It's amazing how the providence of God allowed for there to be a gentleman in the pastor, uh, a gentleman in the church service in Ukraine where one of our pastors were preaching, and he just happened to be a supervisor, and he just happened to recognize us at the border, and he just happened uh, to be able to grease the skids so that we could cross over the border. Um, we ended up making it to the pastor's conference at 4.15. And so we were late, uh, but by the grace of God, uh, we were able to, uh, to minister to those there in Romania. And so God is still in the business of doing God things. And so we're encouraged by that. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up to the book of John, chapter 21. We'll read a few verses this morning, verses 18 through 23. John, chapter 21, verses 18 through 23. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. When you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now he said, he said this signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken of this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turning around saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. And this is the one who had also leaned back upon his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, therefore, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. This saying, therefore, went out among the brethren that the disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him, 
that he would not die, but only if I want him to remain until I come. What is that to you? Let's pray. God, we pray this morning that you would encourage our hearts, that you would touch us, that you would strengthen us. Lord, that you may impress upon us the need to be obedient. God, our desire to compare ourselves to others hinders us in our walk with Christ. God, may you teach us the art of contentment. May you teach us what it means to obey. We thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I pray that you will follow Christ with no concern of others. It is so easy in the world that we live today when everybody tells everybody what's going on in their life. Everybody tells everybody how wonderful things are. Everybody tells everybody about their their vacations and about the blessings that God has poured out upon them. And it's so easy to get into the habit of comparison. Well, as we look at this text, Christ specifically rebukes Peter about this very thing. And so... In the context of what we're looking at, Peter has just been reinstated. Peter has experienced the grace of God in a very palpable, a very real way. Peter has has seen God has showed up to him. Jesus has showed up to him in a resurrected form. And Jesus has said to Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? They're standing at the charcoal fire reminding Peter of his failure, reminding Peter of the three times that he had denied Christ. And then Peter, being grieved in his spirit, says, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know all things. You know that I love you. And then upon reinstatement of Peter, Jesus calls Peter to action. Upon reinstatement, he does not call him to a position. He does not call him to to this, this idea of primacy. But he calls him to action. He calls him to tend his lambs, to shepherd his sheep, to tend his sheep. The call, to church, the call to us, church, is to action, to serve. We are not called to a position specific of power, but we are called to a position of service. And so Peter specifically was called to die. I want us to see this. He calls him to action. And upon calling him to action, he then begins to elaborate on what that action would look like, that yes, he would serve, yes, he would, he would teach, yes, he would perform miracles. But Jesus tells him, Jesus tells him in verse 18, that when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now we understand in light of what took place, in light of what happened in Peter's life, that Peter's arms would indeed be stretched out upon a crossbeam. And Peter would be led to a hill much like that of Christ where he would be crucified, where he would die. Church tradition tells us that Peter requested to be crucified upside down because he was not worthy to die in the manner in which Christ had died. But we know that Peter understood his fate, that Peter understood that that this was what was coming, that this was the fate that was to befall him. 
And I want to point out to us that Peter served for three full decades knowing that this was his fate. I can only imagine Peter gets the news that, oh, by the way, you're going to suffer and die and you're going to be crucified and you're going to die this agonizing, painful death. I can only imagine that every time Peter came in contact with the religious authority or Roman authorities that the question was, is this it? Is today the day? Remember in Acts chapter 4? In Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are walking into the temple and Peter and John see a beggar and the beggar says, give me some money. And, and Peter and John say, gold and silver have I not, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus. Rise and walk. And they pick the man up and he begins to walk. And then because of the, the, the stir that that caused there in the temple, Peter and John become arrested. I wonder if Peter was thinking, is this it? Is this when my time ends? Is this when I suffer and die? Go with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. Now remember... Peter had, uh, amongst the disciples, there were, there were oftentimes, Peter, James, and John were mentioned together. Who was it there in the transfiguration? Peter, James, and John. Who was it there who were considered to be Jesus' closest disciples? Peter, James, and John. And here in Acts chapter 12, the scripture tells us that Herod has had James killed. Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12, verse 2. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the time of the unleavened bread. So I would imagine at that moment, Peter said, well, they've just killed James. They've arrested me and John. This is it. Look at verse 6. On that very night when Herod was about to bring them forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. And guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter's side and roused him, saying, Get up quickly. And his chains fell off of his hands. And the angel said to him, Gird yourself, put on your sandals. And he did so. He said to him, Wrap your cloak around you, and you follow me. Time and time again, Peter would see himself delivered from the hands of of his persecutors, delivered from the hands of those who sought to do him harm. But not one time did Peter shrink from his obedience to the Lord. Peter knew full well what obeying Christ meant. He knew full well what following Jesus meant. And it did not mean health, wealth, and prosperity. Peter understood the principle of Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, where Paul says, For me to live is Christ, and for me to die is gain. Peter understood full well what was in front of him. Church, the Word of God is very clear to all believers. 
all those, Paul tells Timothy, young Timothy, upon his departure, Paul is in prison about to die. And he leaves Timothy with this. For all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And he doesn't say this from a place of, of, of comfort and a place of, of opulence and affluence. He says this from a prison cell knowing that he will not be released. Knowing that just in a few short weeks that he's going to die at the hand of Rome. And he tells young Timothy, as a pastoral encouragement, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I just left Romania, Ukraine. We were picked up by a driver from the airport whose father was a pastor who had been beaten by the KGB, who had been imprisoned, who had been warned not to teach or preach. All those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I want us to notice something. Go, to, go back to John chapter 21. I want us to notice something in the text. Chapter, uh, verse 18 and verse 19. He tells him very specifically, you will die and you will die by crucifixion. And look at the end of verse 19. Then he says, follow me. He tells Peter to follow after he has disclosed to him the fate that which he will die. He doesn't tell Peter, come and follow me and I'll make you wonderfully powerful and give you prosperity. Come and follow me and your life will be better. Come and follow me and you won't have any hardships, any trials, any tribulation. No, he says, in fact, quite the opposite. And then he says, follow me. Church, the call to us is exactly the same. Jesus calls us to follow him with full awareness of the persecution and the hardships that will follow. But this is where we find comfort. John chapter 17, as Jesus is praying in his high priestly prayer in verse 15. Jesus says, Father, I do not pray that you would take them out of the world, but rather that you would keep them from the enemy. As Jesus prays to the Father for the church in his high priestly prayer, he does not pray that God would spare the church from hardship. He does not pray that God would spare his disciples from suffering. He does not pray that God would spare his disciples from, from trials and tribulation. What does he pray? He says, Father, I don't pray that you remove them from this world, but that you keep them, that you sustain them, that you strengthen them. In David's beautiful Psalm 23, he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. The comfort that Peter has, the strength that Peter has is knowing that whether I am persecuted, whether I am beaten, whether I am left for dead, that the grace of God in the person of the Holy Spirit will be with me, will guard my soul, will encourage me, will strengthen me. Church, you will undergo hardships. You will suffer. But the encouragement is that in our suffering, in our hurt, in our pain, in our hardship, in our difficulty, that Christ is with us. 
John chapter 16, verse 33. In this world you have tribulation. Take joy. I have overcome this world. Paul tells, I'm sorry, Jesus tells Peter, follow me. After he has guaranteed him that you will suffer and die. And then we see this passage in John chapter 21. And much has been made about this passage. Peter turns around, sees the beloved disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loves following them, and asks the question, what about this man? Much has been made about this question. There are many people who believe and want to see in this a bitter rivalry between Peter and John. I don't see that at all. What I see in this passage is an intimate relationship between Peter and John. Go with me, if you will, to John chapter 13. Where are you getting that from, preacher? John chapter 13, verse 21 through 24. At the Last Supper, when Jesus had said this, verse 21 of chapter 13, as Jesus had said this, he became troubled in his spirit. He testified and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And the disciples began looking at one another at a loss to know of which one he was speaking. And there was one reclining on Jesus' breast, one of the disciples, the one whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter, therefore, gestures to him and says to him, Tell us, who is it of whom he's speaking? You see in this passage the relationship between Peter and John. Jesus just drops a bomb. One of you is going to betray me. One of you is going to hand me over to evil men and I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. And Peter gestures to John almost in a unspoken way saying, hey, won't you, uh, you know, talk to Jesus? You're right there. Go ahead and find out for us. There is, this, there is this intimacy and this relationship with Peter and James and John that, that Peter's not, he's not threatened by John. John's not threatened by Peter. They understand that they are, that they are two pilgrims on the same journey, that they are two soldiers fighting for the same cause. And there is an intimacy in the relationship. And I believe that this statement in John chapter 21, where Peter looks at John who's following beside, behind them, and he says, what about him? It is a question of concern for John. It's a question of, there is this, there's this intimate relationship. There is this, this brotherhood. And Peter's just been told, you will suffer and die. And it's almost like, well, well, what about my brother? Will, will he too suffer and die? Genuine concern, genuine love. And Jesus rebukes Peter. Jesus rebukes Peter and says, that is not your business. You follow me. This is an admonition that every one of us needs to hear. Jesus tells Peter, don't worry about your brother's obedience. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus makes this same principle. Matthew, um, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, it's a very familiar passage, very famous passage. Jesus looks at 
the multitude as he's teaching her in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, do not judge lest you also be judged. For in the way that you will be judged by your own standard of measure, it will be measured upon you. And look at verse 3. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? So oftentimes we are more concerned about our brother or sister in Christ's obedience than we are our own. We are so worried about whether or not they are being obedient, so worried whether or not they are following Christ, so worried whether or not they are doing what they're supposed to do. And, and as a parent, I cannot help but hear God the Father saying, quit worrying about them and worry about yourself. I have three beautiful children who love the Lord and who are teenagers and act like teenagers. Yet, as a parent, we handle and we deal with our children very differently. We try and be consistent as we possibly can, but they are as different as night and day. Daniel is, is my oldest. Is, he is confident he is bright. He is uh, he's a great student. He uh, is responsible. He 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 is responsible. He manages time. He 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 has a job. He pays his bills. He is uh, a wonderful son. But he also nineteen, and he knows everything, and Dad knows nothing, and and Dad will give him very specific instructions, and and he will take those instructions to be suggestions. And dad says, dad says something along the lines of, you know, go ahead and cut the grass because you don't know what your afternoon is going to look like. Something's going to come up and I want the grass cut before I get home from work today and quit watching TV, get off the guitar, get off your phone and go cut the grass now while you have time. And so he naturally says, Oh, well, you know, I'll, I'll get to it later. I know better. I know better than you know. And so I'll, I'll get to it later. And so I come home and the grass is uncut. Why? Because inevitably something came up and he wasn't able to cut the grass. And instead of listening to dad, instead of listening to dad and cutting the grass at eight, nine o'clock in the morning when he knew he didn't have anything going on, whenever the opportunity was there, he chose to put it off and didn't cut the grass. And so the grass didn't get cut because something happened at two o'clock, three o'clock that demanded his attention. And his disobedience in that moment is very different than my youngest. Nicholas is, is laid back. He doesn't have a worry in the world. He, he is... Uh, gregarious. He's fun-loving. He's he's uh, he's my he's my funniest kid without exception. And but there is not a rebellious bone in his body. He can't remember his name, but there is not a rebellious bone in his body. I will tell him, Nicholas, pick up pick up your book sack out of the middle of the floor. He will say, yes, sir. He will jump up. He will grab his book sack. He will look at me and he will say, what did you tell me to do? <laughs> and so I will give Nicholas the exact same instruction that I give Daniel. I will say, Nicholas, I, I, I want the grass cut before I get home. 
And he will say, yes, sir. And, and he will go outside with every intention at that moment to cut the grass. And as he walks outside, he will see the bat and the wiffle ball on the ground or the basketball. And he will pick it up. And, and as he's walking with the basketball, he'll see the bat and he'll start playing basketball. She completely forgot that I told him to cut the grass. And I'll get home at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and the grass will be uncut. But it is not because he thought that he knew better. He thought that, 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 I, was, that I didn't know what he did. The kid just forgot. Now, they were both disobedient. But as a parent, I deal with them very differently. In God's grace and in God's mercy, He knows us. So unbelievably intimate. He knows our heart. He knows our mind. He knows the motivations of our heart. And in the grace of God, He deals with each and every one of us based upon His wisdom and His omniscience and His understanding of who we are. Church, you have no idea what the Holy Spirit is doing in the life of another brother or sister in Christ. It is not your responsibility to be the Holy Spirit for them. God in His great God in His great omniscience and His great omnipotence, God has the ability. He spoke the world into existence. He has the ability to sanctify believers without your help. He has the, the Holy Spirit is able to convict someone of sin without telling you that you need to go tell them what they should do. And he's able to do this without Facebook. I know you don't think it's possible, but the Spirit of God has been moving and sanctifying the people of God long before that was something called social media. He doesn't need you to post on social media what everybody else should and shouldn't do. We are called to obey God regardless of what other people do. We are called to serve God regardless of what your brother and sister does. In God's sovereignty, He has different purposes for His people. We know through the history of the church that the Apostle Peter died early. He died probably under the reign of Nero, probably around 40, 50 A.D. Peter had the opportunity to write only two of the books in the New Testament, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. John, however, lived probably through at least 90, 95 A.D., John wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote the books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He wrote the book of Revelation. God used John to disciple many pastors. He, young Timothy served in Ephesus under the tutelage of John. John became a, a patriarch. He became someone who God used in a great and mighty way, much differently than God used Peter. It does not mean that the way that God used Peter was better than the way that God used John. It does not mean that the way that God used John was better than the way that God used Peter. It was different. 
And God equips people and calls people to do what God has called them to do. And he will use them to bring glory to his name because of who they are and the giftings that they have. Church, you have a responsibility to bloom where God has planted you. You have a responsibility to model Christ. God has called you and he's placed you in the position that you're in because you and only you can do what God has called you to do. Maybe you're a salesman. Maybe you're a plumber. Maybe you're an electrician. Maybe you're retired. Maybe you're a teacher. And God, by his great grace and his great mercy, has called you. He's called you out of darkness into his light. And he's given you the gifts that he's given you. And he's given you the opportunities and the relationships and the co-workers and the family and the friends that you may be a light in a dark place, that you may be salt to an unsavory world, that you may glorify your father, that they may see your good works and that they will glorify your father who is in heaven, not because of who you are, but because of who he is. And it is God's purpose in all of eternity. God in his great grace and his great mercy has used you and plans to use you to fulfill the great commission. You are plan A and there is no plan B. He has called you He has equipped you to bloom where you are planted. So I have this simple question as we close. How can I follow Christ? You say, well, preacher, you don't understand what I'm going through. You don't understand the circumstance and the situation that I'm in. You're absolutely right, I don't. As a pastor, I've been, uh, by the grace of God, I've been able to pastor here at Redeemer. This is my 20th year. And I recently had uh, lunch with the pastor at Estruma, uh, Tim Keith. Godly man, loves the Lord, hasn't been there very long. And uh, for those of you who don't know, Estruma is a local Baptist church here in Baton Rouge that averages somewhere between 1,200 and 1,500 on a Sunday morning. And it would be easy by the world standard to say, that he's a successful pastor and I'm not a successful pastor. I'm pastoring here for 20 years and we average about 100 people on Sunday morning. They average about 1,500 people on Sunday morning. And he and I were, were sharing lunch and, and the people something to me that encouraged my soul. And he said, Preston, he said, the people that are at Redeemer are at Redeemer because God's called them there. They're at Redeemer because they don't want to be at Estruma. God hasn't called them to Estruma. And the people that are at Estruma are there because God has called them there. And the people that are at Jefferson or people that are at Judson or the people that are at whatever church God has called them to are there because that's where God's called them. And as I studied this this week, I heard those very words. I heard Jesus tell Peter, don't worry about John. You do what God's called you to do. Don't worry about Estruma. Worry about Redeemer. Don't worry about your brother or sister on Facebook who posts their vacation that they just went to Europe or their vacation where they just went snow skiing and and." with envy and 
jealousy, we look at that and we say, I wish I could do that. Not knowing that the reason they were able to take that trip is because mom and dad just died and they used that inheritance to take that trip. You have a responsibility to follow God where you are. Don't worry about your brother. Don't worry about them. You worry about you. Follow Jesus. That's what he's called you to do. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are good and gracious. That even in our obstinance, that you're faithful, that you call us to serve you, to follow you. And when we fail time and time again, you give us grace. God, there are those here this morning who've been convicted that they compare themselves to others way too often. If that's you this morning, I want to encourage you. Jesus said, confess your sin. And he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. If we come to him and confess our sin, then we are promised forgiveness, grace, and mercy. Maybe this morning you've been so concerned about what's going on in someone else's life that you failed to see. You failed to see the purpose and the, the provision that God has given you in your life. Maybe God has called you this morning, reminding you of his goodness and his grace. Maybe God's calling you this morning to become a part of what he's doing right here at Redeemer. Maybe he's called you to follow in obedience by being baptized. Whatever it is the Spirit of God is laying upon your heart, I want to encourage you to be obedient. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would have his way in this place this morning. We ask this in the wonderful name of Jesus.